Fuck. Good evening. Uh, welcome to another exciting edition of This Week in Pop Culture, where we're going to be talking about some fun stuff like some Hocus Pocus, some WandaVision, throw a little bit of She-Hulk. We're going to get to know the Ironheart. That's right. We are continuing where we left off with the Investor Week that happened not too long ago. And last and not least, we are going to be talking about everything that happened in the Mandalorian episode. Stay tuned, guys, because there's a lot to talk about. And it is this week here in pop culture. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another exciting edition right here in This Week in Pop Culture. My name is Aras Zandia. I am your host. With me, as always, is the delightful, is the colorful one, Ms. Leslie Fry. And we have the man. You can catch him every time on, <laughs> right, on the last stop on the L, Mr. Cut the Check himself, Michael Mayhem. Hey guys, what's going on? Hey. hey. I mean, we have a lot. I mean, I, I mean, should we even talk about Grogu and what we saw? Or are we just gonna we're just gonna wait to that final moment to talk about what everyone saw? And that's Greg Grogu joining the dark side? No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> no, no. That would be dope. That Get would be dope. That wouldn't, that wouldn't play very well. Definitely not. Oh, that'd be the most funniest thing ever. It's the fact that Grogu just, you know, has has joined a, a, a Sith Lord and everything. But we'll get to, like, the first topic on hand. And that is we are continuing off from the Investor Week. Uh, we started with some Marvel. We had a lot of Star Wars talk. Today, we're going to give it up to the ladies and the rest of the titles that were for the Investor Week. Uh, yes, we are kind of shorthanded. Sammy isn't here, and also Bergie mm -hmm, isn't here as well, too, to give us some more insight. But we'll get to the first topic, and that is going right into Hawkeye, where there is a lot, a lot, a lot of talks happening right now with the crazy cast going on. Everyone knows that Jeremy Iron is back as well, too. Uh, but they also introduced... I got the wrong topic right there. Uh, we, <laughs> he also teams up with his daughter, uh, Kate Bishop, who is played by Haley uh, Steinfeld. Uh, who will also be joined by Vera. Um, by Vera uh, oh my God, I'm messing up the names already. For uh, Micah. For, uh, uh Tony Delta, and uh, Zane McCarmon. Uh, these are some of the cast members, and there is more and more to be added to this cast as well, too, where it's all, the, all about the ladies. Hawkeye's going right into, we're getting... We're getting his daughter in the original purple suit. Hawkeye's yeah. just saying Hawkeye into like the Ronin costume and everything. But we're getting the original costume on this on this Disney Plus short. 
uh, Mayhem, let's start with you. What you've read so far, what you've heard uh, heard about Hawkeye, and you know what you're looking forward to in in the Hawkeye series. Well, first of all, uh, this has been an amazing week. This has been amazing because I told everybody I was going to get dressed, and you guys showed up. Leslie with the headpiece, hash looking like hash. You know what I'm saying? Like you guys came out. Fergie, I know you're dressed with us in spirit as well as Sammy. Hawkeye, I brought this uh, this attention to you guys last week. I I don't understand how a film or a series or whatever we decide to call it, because it's going to be a masterpiece, can be so hyped. And we don't have a trailer yet. We don't have anything yet. We just have rumors and confirmations. I cannot wait for Echo. I cannot wait for Echo. I'm going to let Leslie speak on that. But Echo and just Hawkeye altogether, Marvel Universe is really coming together. I don't think you guys are, are seeing what they're doing. They're weaving all the little details, the little heroes, and they're making it so big. I am so happy that Ronin is going to be there because I really like Ronin. But I want to see what's his what's his drive now. What? Why is he still a superhero? Why hasn't he just given it up? Why wasn't well, he one of the superheroes that, that could supposedly retired? Could it, could it be that Hawkeye, a.k.a. Ronin, is assembling maybe a new team that we don't know about? I mean, the... They're kind of putting those stepping stones. Yeah. Leslie, we'll let you continue on because while Burge and I will continue this little theory as well too, which goes into the other Marvel titles that are going to be released on Disney+. Plus. Leslie, your thoughts on Hawkeye, what you've read so far, and what you're looking forward to for the series. What I'm really looking forward to is that they have cast Alakwa Cox as Echo uh, in this series. She is Native American. It's the first time that we're actually going to see a Native American character portrayed, and she is also hearing impaired. I mean, they are throwing this at us like I just don't know what, and I am so amazingly excited. I actually posted in all of my Native American sites that she was cast in this role, and I am telling you the love that she's getting from the community is overwhelming. And it's something that the people we haven't seen in, in, in at all. I don't think that we actually have seen We've seen Native American characters, but I think that they've been cliched. This is the first time that we're seeing them in full force. So I'm hoping that her culture is brought forward. I'm hoping that she's like as cool as, well, she's already cool, but I'm just, I, yes. there's so much going on with this and I'm so hyped about this series. I cannot wait. I mean, where is DC? That's all I got to say. Because DC is like far oh. behind right now. Oh, DC she's, is far she's behind. She's pulling the market. I mean, look, DC is very strong when it comes to their TV shows. And yes, we all know how the WB is like their stepping stone. But when it comes to the movies, we're going to find out this week, aka next week, for Wonder Woman. Yeah, Mayhem, we're going to get, we can continue this on as well, too. Um, but DC has, DC has that track record. Marvel doesn't. And the person who knows more than, than, about DC than we do, go ahead, Mayhem. <laughs> So I just want to give them their props. DC animated films and other offshoot superhero movies are actually pretty good. You know what I'm saying? I come down on DC a lot. I know. But I got to give them props where their props do. This is the time for them to buckle down and say, we're not going to be shut out by Marvel. We're not going to be shut out by Sony and anybody else. Because they have the characters. And I did say they have the cast. Listen, I will pre-order tickets to see the same actor play Cyborg in his own solo movie. What are Ooh. you doing about that? 
What do you do? Like, you know what I'm saying? What do you do? What's going on with Shazam? What's going on with the replacement Superman? You know, what are you guys doing about Flashpoint? Are you going to actually make it a thing? You know, mm -hmm. Aquaman, uh, I'm sorry. And I'm not really excited to see Wonder Woman 84, but I'm going to go see it. But I'm going to go see it because I got to be able to talk about it. I got to be able to be like, all right, well. So, but, but wait, you are going to go see it. You're going to see it from the comfort of your couch, a.k.a. HBO Max. Yes, of course. Of course. It's actually. Oh, it's not loaded up, but it's actually right there in the list. So, yeah, of course I'm going to see it. So I'm looking forward to seeing what DC answers because DC can't stay silent. Marvel right. was out here throwing way too much for DC to stay silent. Okay. Leslie? Look, their silence is deadly, and that means that they're killing anything that's coming out right there. Because let me just say this about DC. We know they're behind the eighth ball. They've been behind the eighth ball for a while. They need to come with it. And they're casting right now, I don't think, and let's just take the situation with the Lockwood Cox. The fact that Marvel is hiring a Native American character and bringing this forth in a series, a superhero series, I've not seen that out of DC. And you know, I got a lot of stake in DC. Y'all know right. this. DC is the first to have a more diverse cast, but then X-Men is the one that actually took it way over when it comes to diversity in a cast as well, too. But DC's always been at least a couple steps ahead when it comes to their books. But then yet again, Marvel's the only one that is very political during the times. Uh, if anyone's read some of the comics, uh, there was actually they did have a 9-11 issue as well, too, while DC kind of struggled by just only having covers. Uh, Marvel's always known for having cameos or one-offs with presidents and editors and chiefs, while DC has not done that as well, too. But during President Reagan's time, they did have a few one-offs when it came to drugs and alcohol in the pandemic of the 70s and 80s. There is a fine line when it comes to Marvel versus DC. Yes, even to the point where the federal government got involved and made them go at each other. And the fans voted who would win. It became a tie. But some of your favorite superheroes lost to the not-so-favorite superheroes. Uh, there's a whole list online on Marvel vs. DC, who won and who lost uh, at that time. But going back to um, to, to the add-on of them being diverse, we're, our, we are going to go into a character change that happened not not too long ago, and that is Miss Marvel. Ms. Marvel, as we know, is, <laughs> is the reason why Rogue has her powers. Yes. Go yes. back to the comic book series. This is the reason why Rogue has her powers. And to get reintroduced, Ms. Marvel is now in the hands of Camilla Kai uh, Khan, a 16-year-old Pakistani-American growing up in Jersey City, Jersey. A, a, um, a great story. An avid a fan fiction. She is a fan favorite amongst young girls as of today. And hey, what a great rush to get this onto the screen and to cast a very young hopeful as well, too. Mayhem, let's start with you with uh, seeing Ms. Marvel even on the small screen now. So, first of all, I remember running into Ms. Marvel back when X-Men used to be shown on Fox 5 on Saturday mornings. And I remember the blob was like, it's Mrs. Marvel. She goes, it's Ms. Marvel. And she like, punches him through something. <laughs> um, Rogue right. always had her leecher's powers. And, you know, as you go through the series, she learns to control and then she loses control. But her flight and her ability to be indestructible to an extent, um, the vulnerability and super strength she got from Ms. Marvel, she nearly killed Ms. Marvel. And at some point, she killed her, and then she took over her powers, 
all that good stuff. So that's a little history for you. As far as Miss Marvel, the new Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, if you haven't played the Avengers game, I know so many glitches. I know bad support, but okay. If you haven't played it, it is dope. I've read the Ultimate uh, series for Marvel, and she is so entrancing. Like, she's going to be really dope at bringing other superheroes in, like Miles Morales and all these other people. I, I can't wait. I think it's dope for the representation, which we talked about. I think it's dope that we have a fe another female lead superhero. Even though they'll feature others, she will be the lead. She will be the main actress. You know what I'm saying? And it'll be about her. And then it will help pro uh, project Marvel's future, not just in movies, but series-wise, as well as comics. We are about to get a huge major, like, I'm calling it now. They're going to do a huge makeover. And remember that time when they made comics for teenagers? They're going to make it for everybody now. They're going to get your grandchildren in. Congratulations. It's going right. down. It's that's, going that's, down. And also, that's how they right? did it. Cut the check. Yeah, we know. We know, we know, we know. Cut the check. But that's all it takes. It's just a good story to have a good background. And guess what? The fact that Disney's doing exactly what they said it was going to do, get the attention of little kids, and that's what they got. And Leslie, you can add to this. This adds to a lot of young women, a lot of young girls that have this, I, I, not an issue, I'm not say issue, but like growing up as a girl has always been a struggle we'll say correct or or you can add to this good i'm gonna take the humanity humanitarian approach in this and the fact that she is pakistani and that she's muslim that's two right. different things about the fact that she probably you know depending on how devout her family is this is a, the character that still um has some religious religion about her. She still has some devotion to Allah. This is this character is you're going to see every aspect of this. And this particular, I think it was volume one of Miss Marvel won a Hugo Award in 2015. So that's basically saying if there's something about it that touches humanity, you're going to get a view of what we as Americans don't understand about being Muslim or about being Pakistani. The other thing that I really love about it is that they put her in Jersey city, which has a large Pakistani and um, uh, Indian presence in Jersey city. So this is like way cool. I'm hoping that they go deep in this. And so we get a better understanding of who she is as a human being, not necessarily as a, uh, as a superhero, but as a human being. So I'm psyched all the way about it. I, I can't I can't wait. I want to add on wait. to that really quickly. Yeah. We grew yeah. up in a time where superheroes were either white and they dealt with like problems mm -hmm. like debt and like losing, but we don't know some of the other sides of actual ethnic characters who like deal with racism, who deal with being not just in debt, but like depression and all this other stuff. And they kind of hint on it in certain series, but they're not as popular. Like the most we got was Iron Man dealing with alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And right. you know what? I, I get it. It's a touchy topic, but we need certain superheroes to kind of embody that and be like, this is a real life thing. Heroes aren't just, I am super strong and all this other stuff. They deal with real life issues. And the only time I think we've honestly gotten something like that was in Netflix, like Jessica Jones and mm -hmm. Daredevil, you know, those series. I hated Luke but we, uh, but we, yeah, I hated it. But we <laughs> got it in comic books as well, too. We we got depression in almost every single comic book. Remember, Captain America has failed so many times that he's gone through his own depression. The X-Men had many single times. How many times did they kill Jean okay. Grey? And, and Cyclops goes to this but, crazy, but long but, eagle. But, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
if she is dealing with racism as a Muslim in America and the misconception about being a Muslim here in America, the fact is that she's going to have to show a lot of restraint knowing that she has these abilities that she could wipe somebody out. And it's a lesson of the humility and the, the, uh, the, um, the decorum and the, um, the grace that people of color have when it comes to these kind of things. There are so many times that we could be angry about somebody who has some, you know, but we, but we show a lot of, uh, and there's a word that I'm looking for poise in this, when we're dealing with racism here in America, we've done it for a while. We've done it with nonviolence and here's somebody who could take charge based on the fact that she's a superhero, but we're going to see her, how she deals with it, how we deal with it every day when we come up against ignorant, stupid people. So it's going to be interesting. Or maybe it becomes a coming of age thing where she miraculously is a giant fan as a starter from the Avengers video game. And she's, and she has powers and she has a tough time as a girl growing up. Go ahead, go ahead, man. No, just because a girl, you know what? Just a girl, you just can't you just can't dismiss it because yes, it's it's bad enough being a girl, but she is a Muslim girl. She's a Muslim girl, and this is different. This is different. Two and, things, two things that are working against her. All right. Um, I, I take it you didn't read much of the comics where 90% of the times they never bring up that she is Muslim. They use the last name as much as possible to bring it up. They bring but, up but, that her pa- they bring care. up her Pakistani I, I, I descent. Doubt. I doubt very seriously that they're going to be living in the world that we're living in today. They're going to rewrite Gosh. some of that in this okay. in this series. Let me say this, and, I, and maybe we can move on because we're disagreeing to agree right now, but that's fine. Hear me out on this. You have to understand that right now, as superheroes, there's a second generation who's like, I don't have to take this, and I'm mm-hmm. going to stand up for injustice. And there's a previous generation who was like, maybe not push it so much. So she's going to address those issues. That's yeah, the they're going to make sure she does. You brought up a very good topic, Hash, when you said X-Men. Here's the thing about X-Men, okay? Captain America, he could lose. He could he could mess up arguably the worst and then still bounce back. X-Men has not. X-Men, as a matter of fact, even came to the Avengers and said, where were you when we needed your help? You always call us here, which is kind of like how people of color feel. We're always here for you, but you're never here for us. Mm-hmm. So... Granted, I love X-Men, especially the way they're going. That with Kamala Khan and some of the future series is going to be a topic that needs to be talked about and addressed. But I can't wait till they do. Because remember, you got the first generation that was here first that's like dealing with racism and this hate. It's part of just living here and it's okay to accept it. Versus the second one's like, no, I was born here. I don't have to take this. The audacity of these people. And the, fact that, we've, and the fact that we've had brutality towards people of color here in America. They, in the recent right, so we, they're going to definitely address this. They are not. They are, they are not. Uh, this is Marvel. Uh, they are not going to go like that the far down the line. They're not. Look, they could have brought it up. They could have brought up during page as well, too. And they didn't do it as a, a, the exact same thing. Marvel is not going to, as I say, snap next during that time as well, too. If an issue br- is brought up, they're brought up for five seconds to continue on the storyline. Mayhem, one more thought, and then we're going to continue on. Just remember this. We believe that they're going to address it. They may not dress- address it as hard as we think they are, but they are going to address it. You're thinking not. It's hard not to. Because even the ultimate, universe, to. the ultimate universe is actually designed in uh, relation to our universe. It's supposed to be identical, identical, which is why like Thor and Iron Man aren't as powerful as the Marvel Universe. So keep that in mind. I'm gonna let it slide. Yeah, but we're talking about the mouse, and the mouse is actually activated 
Ms. Ironheart as well too. And that is, yes, an African-American scientist who has gone to college for MIT and she has reverse engineered her very own Iron Man suits. And if no one can figure out what is going on, this looks like a complete setup for the Young Avengers because when you have Kamala Khan and you have a six, another 16-year-old Ironheart and you also have a Hawkeye, this sets up for the Young Avengers who are literally the children of the Avengers or some people would say the setup for the West Coast Avengers. But your guys' thoughts on the first African-American Iron Woman, we'll say. Mayhem, let's start with you with this one. Yeah, we're keeping this with girl power pretty much. Oh, man, I'm excited. Okay, Riri Williams. So, all right, first of all, I'm Team Captain America all day, every day. But the fact that we have Riri Williams coming to the screen is dope. She's an African-American woman, well, young girl, excuse me, who reverse engineered the Iron Man suit, and she's, like, just as smart as Tony, and she's just, she's learning. I cannot wait till they bring her, because this is empowerment for all women all over. Second of all, who, like, her, her run in Marvel was actually really good. I can't wait till they flesh out the whole story. Who is she related to? Who is she not related to? Is she technically a mutant? Is she not a mutant? She's just a super, like, so many different things. And on top of that, I'm looking forward to, this is a little bit left field, them introducing Monica Rambeau more so. We saw her in a trailer that I think we're going to speak about later. I'm not going to bring up right now. So we got Monica Rambeau and also Riri Williams coming in. Like, the powerhouse is coming. If we could get the Young Avengers too, it's uh, like, we're going to be sitting on movies for years. Years. We're going to have our own little hawks. Like, I can't wait. This is dope. I'm uh, this is, well, this is a series as well, too, a.k.a. part of Disney yes. Plus, a short little series as well, too. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Leslie on a nice young MIT student who reverse engineers. And then we get to figure out how she gets her hands on her version of Jarvis, a.k.a. Tony Stark. I'm loving every bit of it. One, she's a girl out of Chicago, which is, you know, near my hometown. She's an Illinois girl. But also one of the things that I really love about this is that we're seeing her, a young kid, 15 years old. Um, traditionally, we don't see black kids actually going to MIT. They go to traditional uh, roles like um, maybe uh, going to the medical field or one of the lead police officers, stuff like that. But now we're seeing this young um smart young lady who's 15 that is that is going towards this type of of, of technology um i'm going to say something from a, a personal note i work in technology in my day job and my survival job and it is very difficult for us to get women of color especially young girls to be involved in any type of tech coding or anything like that so i'm excited about what this is going to bring to uh, that younger audience to say that this is just not a nerdy thing to do, but this is like superheroes do this. And I, I there's so much about this. There's so many things that they can do with the storyline. Um, you know, being 15, being brilliant the way that she is and being as cool as she is, she's just dope. I just uh, I love everything about her. Because you know? she's not a Harvard student. She's an MIT student. She's so MIT you get the... So while everyone's goes used to, we're going to Harvard. No, she went to MIT. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be, it, I'm, I'm waiting to see how she gets her hands on her version of Jarvis. Is it going to be Tony Stark? Is Robert Downey Jr. going to voice it? Um, is that going to be it? Or will we get 
another version of uh, where we get happy involved, but we'll never know until we actually start the series. God, man. Uh, in the actual comic book series, it was Tony Stark's AI that was talking to her, like his own artificial intelligence, like him. And I forgot how he came his back. Consciousness, his consciousness. consciousness. Into, yes. And I think he downloaded himself into a body and he came back. So if they go that route, we can look forward to seeing Iron Man in the future. I don't know how far into the future, but if he's first of all, Robert Downey Jr. still has a job in voice acting. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to that man. But yeah. then he decides he wants to step into the like. Oh, yep. You 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 answer your own question before I can say it too. Go ahead, finish it. They could probably recast him too, and this would be easier for them to recast because instead of it being Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, it'd be another Iron Man that they can put. Yes. Right. They becomes oh. another version of Vision, yes, and they cast somebody else. But that's probably that's probably not going to happen till later down the phase. While we're going through this current phase, I mean, this current strange phase right now, where we're getting the TV series first, we're getting a lot of series first before we even yes. dabble in movies, and we we're not even going to start with Spider Man at all, or where that little shenanigans is going. Oh. Um, I know, right? And it just keeps growing. I mean, it just keeps growing, but it keeps getting growing into the color. And I'm not going to say, as weird as it sounds, into the color of green. And that is, we're going to be talking about She-Hulk. And what's what is actually amazing is that finally Tatiana Maslany finally uh, uh, admitted that she is cast as She-Hulk after numerous times she's denied it. Uh, Kevin Feige finally said, no, we have Tatiana and she'll be playing She-Hulk. But she will not be alone. Uh, uh, Mark Ruffle will be joining her as Hulk, but here's something that caught me out of left field, and that is Tim Roth returning as Abomination. Now, I don't know about you, but this didn't Hulk, didn't Edward Hulk defeat Abomination in that movie? He defeated, uh, did he kill? Did he kill? Defeating, did he killing? I mean, I mean, I'm not gonna go, I mean, look, as bad as that movie was, it, it was decently <laughs> good up until the fight scene. I thought it was good. Whoa! I thought it was actually, actually kind of good. No, that's no, no, no. That's because you two are Edward Norton fans. There's a difference. That's because no. you two are Edward, no. Edward Norton fans, and you got the and you got the skinny dude into the big dude, um, um, the skinny dude into the big girl, uh, big dude thing. But Mayhem, let's start with you as you always, and uh, your thoughts on the cast, crew, and even Tim Roth returning. Did you guys see that? There was a lot of shade. There was a lot of shade. So let me tell you something. I think the first Hulk movie was trash. I think everybody yeah. came to consensus that was trash. We hated it. It took too long for him to transform. It wasn't all that great. The second one with Edward, Edward was dope. Because first of all, I thought Edward played a great Hulk. I heard he's difficult mm -hmm. to work with, but he played a great Hulk. Um, the guy who turned into Abomination, I forgot the guy's name. Believable on how he kept testing Thunderbolt Roll, kept giving him the serum and all it was believe it was actually pretty good. It's why we continue to get some more Hulk, obviously, for Avengers. So if they bring Abomination back, I'm actually excited to see that because I don't think he was killed. He was defeated, but it's harder to kill these these creatures because of gamma radiation and their healing power. So bring Abomination back, bring Mark Ruffalo back, bring oh my god, bring She-Hulk, and let's let's see them all go at it. Like, can you imagine a souped up Abomination going against She-Hulk and the Hulk? Or better yet, it's abomination and da, 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 there's somebody else. There's another Hulk. There's another Hulk enemy. Yeah, go ahead, Leslie. Uh, your, your thoughts as well, too, where you want to add on it. 
So look, I ain't ever mad when I see Tim Roth play anything. He's always good at it. So I'm just going to say that is going to be also, and my favorite word tonight to use is dope. It's going to be dope. Because the thing is that we're seeing all of that green on the, on the, that green and all of that, that fighting. Well, whatever, green screen, whatever. But I don't see the green screen. I'm seeing the green of the Hulk and She-Hulk and Abomination. I am excited about that because I have to tell you, even though I am an Edward Norton fan, I think he played that role very well when he did play it, by the way. So I know you think the movie sucked, Cash, but the movie was really good. Because anything, anything was better than the first movie that came out. So I I loved it. And I thought that he played it emotionally well. We, We got to see... The angst that that you know David uh, Bruce Banner would have, so I just thought it was really um, a good film. So I also thought that Tim Roth was scary as Abomination in the second film. So I'm like expected to see even worse this time around. If he wasn't defeated, that he's coming back madder than hell. So this is going to be good, and it's going to take two Hulks to defeat him this time. But what if? if wait, hold on, no, not let me let me say this one, okay? Because you brought up the theory, especially you, all right? There's two Hawks. You get Abomination, and someone wants, someone just posted that they hope they redesign Abomination, which I can agree oh, they need to redesign Abomination. <laughs> but what if also this is a tie-in to maybe a Red Hulk in this process? Me. You know? Mayhem, you want the I know you want to jump in that one. God. Yeah, no, I just while you were speaking, Leslie, and hash beat me to it, uh Thunderbolt Ross could still be chasing after the Hulk. Yeah. So if it is, and being that he walked with abomination, he can, yeah. you know, do what he needs it's, to do. And then all of a sudden it's two, it's two versus two. Hulk, Red Hulk versus you know, whoever, maybe She Hulk and Abomination versus Hulk. Like, I would pay for that. I would pay for that. Or paying now, for it because it's going to be on a Disney Plus series. Well, I mean, yes, but my whole thing is <laughs> still got to pay for it. I still got to pay for it. I mean, look, either way you look at it, it, it's on the Disney Plus network. You got to pay money. for it. No, because it's like I don't think. All right, so take it. All right, obviously it's a fighting film and superheroes and Hulk smash and everything. But think about the story. Yes, think about the story because it's not only the Red Hulk, but the Red She Hulk that comes later on, right? Which is Betty, you know, oh, and then I- just like the theme. I don't think I don't they're going to go that far. Right away. They're not going to get us there right oh, away. Oh no, they're going to they're going to drag it. I agree with yes. you. But it's coming. Don't forget. But it's coming. There's yeah. also going to be a Ms. Marvel aka also Daredevil tie-in somewhere down the line as well too if they get this right, especially with the especially with the tie-in for Daredevil. She's also remember, we're listing these four ladies and these four ladies are all have a tie-in and that is with the Ms. Marvel series. That if all of these are successful, we have the introduction of the Young Marvels, which includes She-Hulk as part of that team. That's true too. Yeah. We we are constantly forgetting that. Like we jumped right into you know we're gonna talk about the ladies and these ladies have something to prove, and that is their own team. And even Ms. Marvel has something to prove, even though she is the uh, the cousin of Mark Ruffalo, and she gets ejected by accident. No! But we'll see how she transitions into being She-Hulk. I mean... I hope they don't make it as I hope they don't make it corny like it is in the comic because it is kind of corny. I, I want to see... I mean, no, the know. cartoon series was fun. The cartoon yeah, series, I enjoyed the cartoon series. 
I enjoyed Maybe the corniness. Reference, and it'll be like, girls, get it done. <laughs> sisters, sisters are doing it for themselves. <laughs> All right. So out of every series that we just saw, even though we're getting one, how many series were you think we're going to get out of She-Hulk, out of uh, Ms. Marvel, out of Ironheart, and even out of uh, Hawkeye? I think they're all going to get across the board. Leslie, go ahead. I'm dead. No, I, I think that they are really planting the seeds for a bigger world. And we're just, this is just not going to stop here. It's going to grow because this is what they're, this is, this has so much possibility and growth and, and, and being able to introduce new people with probably new series. They are creating this world and they, and the fans are loving every bit of it. You know, mm -hmm. we are dying for this. We're looking for this. So the possibilities are endless here. I can't even count how many series will probably pop off from this. Right. I mean, if it's done right, you're easily getting three. If it's shortly lived, just like, I look, we, we saw it with uh, Iron Fist, two seasons and well, thrown well, away. So it has to do with, so all, we have let's, to hope. Let's, let's stop about that about Iron Fist. You know why Iron Fist only had two seasons? Trash. It was trash. And the reason why it was trash <laughs> And the reason why it was trash is because you could tell that, uh, first of all, Iron Fist was just just miscast. That martial arts part of it was just was just not even there. It was awful. It was awful. It was a piece of junk. And oh, it's sad oh, look. because because that was the weak leg to that. Yay! Hey, the weak leg and everything. Yes, it was the weak leg. It was the weak leg to all of those Marvel series on that on Netflix. Right. As he sits there and realizes, and guess who decided to finally join us, Mr. Burge. Running right, a little late quick, from work. As, like, literally, as we're sitting here talking, we ran through, we, we talked about She-Hulk, we talked about Ironheart, we even talked about Ms. Marvel, we talked about Hawkeye. How many seasons you think each, or, let's say in combined, how many seasons you think each show will have? I think each show will probably get about two seasons out of them. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it depends on, they might lead into something kind of like what the, uh, daredevil did with Jones, you know, Luke Cage and Iron Fist where they did a defender series. I think you're leading that into possibly a big screen tie in to maybe West coast Avengers, young Avengers. You're going to get that. They're definitely going to do it. Um, whether they do it sooner or later, it all just depends on how they start taking off some of the characters. I say two, three seasons, each one, and then you're leading into a major movie. Ooh. All right, he's going with that one. Moving on to our next series, and that is, of course, because it's coming right around the corner with Mandalorian out and everything, everyone's going to be looking forward to WandaVision. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. with WandaVision launching no later than January 15th of next year, the first episodes continue to expand. Wanda and uh, Vision are two superpowers, be uh, living in a sub suburban life but things seem to be going awry on their suburban life. And it seems to be this crazy little mix-up sitcom. And if I'm not mistaken, after seeing all the trailers, it kind of reminds me of an X-Men villain. But Mayhem, let's start with you first. Yeah, yeah, we'll give it to you first. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. First of all, shout out to Bergie because I don't know what you're doing with that hat, but I wanted a hat today and I couldn't get it. So shout out to you. And your mic, you sound so crispy. Glad to have you here. Second of Thank all, you. Let me tell you about WandaVision. 
Vision, okay? Uh-oh. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I am hyped after seeing that trailer for WandaVision. Okay, if you haven't seen that vision, that that uh, that, that vision, that trailer, that you vision. need to go see it. It is amazing. Monica Rambeau is in it. Monica Rambeau, the Spectrum is in that trailer. Bruh. So that, okay, okay, okay. I want you to understand that now they're also confirming how the fact that she did something and she's alter like she's altering the the universe but yet her and vision are gonna go against somebody it doesn't matter who the the the, the enemy is the big bad guy at the end i wouldn't mind him it's all about wanda it's all about wanda and vision at this point how did they get here how does this guy into what we're last doing and you know they're gonna talk about me know it you know it you know it you know it. I mean, we'll have we'll have Bergy take it. Wandavision, looking forward to it. Give us, give it to us, Bergy. Give it to us. <laughs> so, from what I saw from the trailer and everything, and dissecting the showdown, Wandavision is basically going to be based off of the House of M comic book series. So, if anybody remembers the House of M series, uh, basically it was Spider Man was able to figure something out. His spider sense wasn't, you know, right, and he was able to figure out that there was something wrong with the X Men and everything. So he went to X-Men, he went to Professor Xavier, he found out that there was something wrong. Got Bishop, got, you know, everyone together, and they went to her and basically, you know, basically figured out that she was, she changed and warped reality. Same premise is going to be happening in the TV show. Um, they're basing it off of the House of, there's going to be decades of TV that they're doing. They're going to be leaving it to leave it to Beaver. You've got um, I Dream of Jeannie with her, with the nose thing as she does, where you see her doing like she's reading the book and she's going like this and she's vacuuming. So they're going through the decades of TV. If you, if anybody realizes it, they also do a, a tie into Married with Children with the leg warmers and the way the hairstyle was. Um, there's also a scene, if anybody doesn't know this, she's the younger sister of the Olsen twins, Mary Kate and Ashley. Yeah. So there's a scene where they actually show like a house similar to Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen's house from Full House. So I think that's really cool that they're tying this into it. Um, she basically is rewarping reality and she has a basically a break with reality. And that's why you see in certain scenes where it looks like it's static, like you can't like you're trying to get the TV to come in correctly. So she's having a warp. You see Monica Rambeau come in because she was sent in and all of a sudden somehow she becomes part of the reality. When she moved to there, she started her reality power warping. And as she got more involved in her own, you know, basically her own deception, she started taking more and more of the neighborhood. There's basically like a biodome over this entire city where she lives. One of the characters is rumors is uh, it's supposed to be Mephesto. She makes a deal with Mephesto where she gets her two kids wicked in speed. At the Harkness is one of the other ones is the witch who happens to be the one that we see in all the trailers with her with the black hair. I can't remember the lady's name for the life of me in real life for whether she does. I absolutely love her. I think Larius is a comedian. So she's supposed to be playing Agatha Harkness, who is part of uh, Mephesto, who is the devil, who's trying to take over and wants to get into our, pl our plane of existence. So this could lead right into the, you know, the uh, Doctor Strange movie, which we're going to see. This is basically the tie-in to it. This is an awesome trailer, eight episodes long, to... You know, it's Doctor Strange. I'm looking forward to this show. Is going to be nuts. Not only, yeah, but not only Doctor Strange, but also Loki, especially mentioning Mephisto. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Leslie. Your thoughts? No, I was going to say that's Cat Dennings. I think that you're talking about. Yeah, Cat Dennings. Um, so no, 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 no. Cat Dennings is the other one. There's another lady with the Catherine black hair. You see her in the leg and the leg warmers when she's inside that area. I can't remember. Catherine Hand. Like, I think that's right. I think, I think it's Catherine Hand with the red hair. Does she have red hair or black hair? 
Anyway, I, 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 I honestly, I can't follow Burgie's expertise on WandaVision. All I can say from the perspective of what I look like, and I'm just going to look at it for what production quality, It the, what I saw makes me want to watch this series. The color, the nostalgia, uh, the romance, all of this we want to see. And so I'm in all, uh, look, I'm not even putting a foot in, I'm putting a whole body into that series. I'm jumping in foot first. So I'm, I'm excited about it. You know, now, I go, into the, go ahead. Yeah, but but to but for Mayhem and Burgie, do you guys actually see another tie-in and especially having the X-Men and if this being a TV show series, do you see the introduction of Mojo? Yes. Yes, of course, because I mean it's supposed to be a biodome, but I feel like it extends outward. People forget Wanda is so powerful, she affected the multiverse. She mm -hmm. affected the multiverse where she said no more mutants, not just Earth 616, all of the Earths. So they have to bring mutants in. It's, and of course, they're going to be, they're going to probably mention it, honestly, and it will come back to it in an, either another movie or another series. But we're expanding the universe. This, isn't this coming out before Doctor Strange in the Multiverse Madness? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. this is, this is the first in the series. Right come on, like it's happening. Mutants are getting, bring my boy Nightcrawler back. Bring, no, bring, oh, bring a good Fantastic Four movie. How about that? Let's do a Fantastic Four movie first before we get X-Men. One more time, we're going to go to the next one because spoilers are ahead. Well, not really, though, but go ahead. Uh, I mean, I can definitely see them bringing Mojo into it. it it's going to be interesting. This could tie into so many you know, alter realities, introducing so many characters that have to do with what she's going to be doing. I would love to see them introduce maybe an X-Men character or something. Maybe they bring somebody in like a Professor Xavier, but we don't know it's him. We just see him in the background. We see a bald head guy and he's sitting there and he's like taking notes and he's putting his feet in with the FBI, the CIA or S.W.O.R.D. or S.H.I.E.L.D. or whoever it's there to try to help out. And he's now trying to realize, no, guys, she cracked. She just broke reality. We need to get this under control or she. I know, I know, I know. We're not getting paid. We're not getting paid to add to the storyline. That's an excellent uh, we story could be. I just, I just I want mean, red carpet, red tarp, red carpet tickets for all my uh, crew here, please. That's all we have. Red, for. red, red, car, red carpet, for something. Well, too. But while everyone is all excited for Jan, we're literally for January for 2021 to happen. Forget January. We're just set for 2021 to happen, and 15 days after that, we will all be stuck to our TV screens or to our monitors or to our phones, everywhere we watch Disney+, and we will be excited to watch the first episode of WandaVision, and of course, we have to wait every single week after that, just like how we did with The Mandalorian. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're going okay right into it. That, though. Yeah. Right. I am. I'm totally okay with that. Oh, I am so could, okay with this. Yeah. I wish. I wish they would do this instead of doing what Cobra Kai is going to do, which I'm very going to be very disappointed because you know we're going to get the full season for Cobra Kai. I want them to give us like a weekly episode, so we are more excited every week. Mm -hmm. But it is what it is. I mean, William, if you're watching, you know you can always write me a check to say that's a great <laughs> idea too. Uh, we'll talk about that one a little bit. Um, but. I don't know if we could say spoilers ahead because everyone by now has probably seen the Mandalorian and what has happened in this latest episode, the finale chapter. Um, I will, you know, 
as I said before, I'm uh, we're gonna go on and everything, but get your tissue boxes ready because I'm about to give you guys one more time the episode scenario that went down one by one by one, and we will be discussing almost every single thing that has happened, including some Easter eggs and maybe one or two that caught my attention that I posted on my personal Facebook page that has caught some of you guys to watch us a little extra today because I said to watch The Force Awakens because that's what I thought of after watching this a third time. And I'll say, and I'll explain to you guys why. Uh, you know, first we'll begin with Slave One getting in their, uh, getting on their hands of uh, Dr. Uh, Persink on and his ship then Mando and Boba Fett return to, I guess, the Tatooine to recruit the likes of uh, uh, Bo-Katan and her Mando friend. Um, Bo-Katan and Boba Fett get into an argument, and she calls Boba Fett a clone and a disgrace to the armor shortly after they get into a small little bar fight. Yeah, we're going through a quick little scenario for you guys. But Mando needs Bo, um, uh, Bo's assistant to get the child back and makes a deal with Bo, but Bo wants the ship and the saber uh, the child is the only uh, it, the child is the only priority on uh, Mando's mind. Uh, with Mando's team assembled on Slave One, they plan their attack with a little help from Doctor uh, Perkins, who briefly tells them where the dark trooper dro- uh, talks about where the dark troopers are held and where the child is also being held. With the decoy in play, they head towards Moth's ship. Uh, Desperately trying to board the ship, Moth senses a change and leaves the bridge. But first, he activates his Dark Troopers. Cue the Dark Troopers theme song at this time. Yes, they have their own theme music at this time during the scene. Still chills you hear along as I write this as you hear the music. Uh, Now they are aboard the ship. The ladies open fire. Uh, Mando exits the ship as well too and starts heading towards the child. But the ship is clear. A little too clear, as one person says. But the ladies open fire with every on every stormtrooper on the way to the bridge. Oh no, the dark troopers are powered up by now. Mando gets to where they are held, and he attempts to close the doors. But one forcefully gets out. Mando gets into a uh, painful battle with one of the dark troopers. Only defeats, um, only defeating him with just his spear, which uh, which wasn't easy. Mando goes back to where the rest of the Dark Troopers are held, opens the outer doors, and sends the Dark Troopers into space. But did the Dark Troopers, uh, but the Dark Troopers remind, but did the Dark Troopers remind you of anything or anyone? Well, as I like to say, this little Easter egg, they kind of reminded me of the set designer who designed the real steel uh, object. And yes, going on. Yeah, they remind me of the real steel robots. Uh, the ladies go on to continue to the battle towards the bridge, and they make short work of it. Once on the bridge, Bo-Katan goes into a panic and goes, where's Moth? Mando goes to where the child is being held, but first, he snaps the stormtrooper's neck before entering that little corridor. Uh, Moth, Moth is with the child and with the dark saber over his head. Oh, no. Moth and Mando exchange words. Moth has a sword. Moff tells Mando about a short history of the sword while Mando just wants the child. Moff makes a deal with Mando. Mando agrees to the deal. Then Moff Moff goes on. But does he? Uh, Moff starts a battle with Mando. And, well, thank the Force for the the armor and spear. 
And that is how uh, Mando defeats Moth, but also sparing his life at the same time. Now, with everyone on the bridge, Mando tries to give Bo-Katan the Darksaber, but Bo has a look on her face. Yes, Moth explains that the Darksaber must be won in battle. And no, no, the Darksabers have now returned. Yes, and we know, because they have jetpacks and all. Cue the Darksaber, <laughs> Dark Trooper music. Uh, Mando teams up, starts preparing for battle. As they prepare for battle, they see an X-Wing jet entering the dock, and Grogu's eyes start to open a little bit wider. The Dark Troopers are now turn their attention to a new person who has just entered the playing field. A figure in a dark cloak appears, and he has a lightsaber in hand, and is taking the Dark Troopers one little strike at a time. Grogu senses the force in, the je in this Jedi, and this Jedi Saber in hand, making his way to the bridge. Uh, with a scene similar to Rogue One, uh, he mauls down the remaining troopers and, and makes his way to the bridge. Grogu then lets everyone know that it is safe to open the doors. And lo and behold, the Jedi reveals himself as to be Luke Skywalker. Yep. Uh, at this time, uh, Luke Skywalker appears. Uh, Luke is here to take Grogu away for his force training. But first, Grogu uh, wants Mando's pro uh, permission to go with Luke Skywalker. Yes, I know. Start with tears. Uh, Mando gives uh, Mando um, gives his permission, telling Grogu that he promises to see him again. But Grogu reaches for Mando's helmet. Mando removes his helmet, revealing to the child what he looks like. Uh, then we see a nice moment between Mando and Grogu, but Grogu does not want to go. So cue in R2-D2. Uh, R2-D2 enters the scene. Uh, Grogu lets go of Mando's leg and proceeds to walk towards Skywalker and R2. R2 beeps a few words to Grogu. Grogu and R2, um, R2 seem to be excited with each other. Now Grogu is ready for his next journey. Skywalker and nod. Then Skywalker says, may the force be with you. And with, with, <laughs> with Skywalker carrying Grogu in hand. Uh, and of course, they look back. You see Mando in tears as Skywalker and R2 and Grogu enter the elevator doors. And the door closes. And that thus ends Season 2 of The Mandalorian. Guys, I don't know what to say about some of the scenes. Let's just start with the first one. How about that bar scene where yeah. they literally just go ham on Boba Fett? We'll start with the bar scene first. Mayhem, start with you. The first bar all, scene. First of all, let's go. Well, we're going. With, we're going with the bar scene first. I just, I'm gonna go to bar scene, but I just want to give right. credit where credit is due. Okay. First of all, if it wasn't for you guys, I think I still would have been as invested. But all this backlord stuff has definitely brought me to the forefront. Like you guys have yeah. definitely opened me up. Les, Sam, Berg. Berg is over here. Berg, 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 Berg over there. So, <laughs> secondly, Les, you called it. You called it. You called it. If you guys haven't been following our show every Sunday, you missed out. This lady above me called it. Bar scene. Sasha Banks is my hero. Sasha Banks as Koska is my hero. And I think, and I think 100% she could have killed Boba Fett. I know okay. they were out here fighting, you know, grandstanding, whatever, but she got the upper hand on him. And she did a reverse DDT on him. Y'all caught that, right? Y'all caught <laughs> that, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. I, yes. 
obviously they weren't trying to kill each other because you know the flamethrower thing and it was just grandstanding. But I I fully believe she's a better fighter than Boba Fett, and it was awesome. It was everything. The girls in this episode, excuse me, the girls, the women in this episode killed it, killed it, killed it. The only person to beat them was a baby Yoda, Grogu. So that was it. I'm sorry. Yes. Leslie, Leslie, let's go ahead. Uh, what did you What did you think about that bar scene of them entering the bar and them immediately, literally turning on Boba Fett in in, in mere seconds? Listen, I was actually transported back to the days where we used to watch those kind of bar scenes, like in um in a a, a spaghetti westerner, where it's just like so crazy. You're like, it was like one part John Wick and one part, you know. Um, the bad, the good, the bad, the ugly. Those women were so badass, and their suits are so fitted. They I, look, they are just they they had it. My girl uh from the WWE, my prop is off to you. I don't know what what she just brought a lot of attention to the WWE with that scene. That was such a good scene. It yeah. was intense, it was just it was like quick, it was just oh. I didn't, you know, I, I agree with you, Mayhem. She might have won that fight. Yeah. If it had gone a little yes. bit further, she yes. might have took him down. Yes. Yeah. Part of, part he's of a little um, old. He's a little old right now. So, but she was like, very. Don't, don't very matter. They're part of the owl. Did you see their mask? Yes. They're, they're like, get out of here. All right. Those so, girls another, obviously train a lot. All right. All right. That's another debate for maybe 2K to figure out which Boba Fett, which Mandalorian will win. But Bergie, what did you think about the bar scene and how uh, Bo-Katan immediately went on just pretty much trying to tear down Boba Fett? She wanted to basically prove that she was the leader. Like, I'm the leader of Mandalore, not you. I get it. Your history, your legend is what it is. She wanted to tear down a legend. That's it. She didn't have the guts to get up and stand to him. You know, Mercedes did, which I get it. She wanted to prove something to her, you know, her queen. Look, I got the old man. I'm going to take him. Whether you like it or not, there's no way in heck Disney would have let Boba Fett lose to her. She, mm. Boba Fett would have won. Boba would have won. Let's, let's put it that way. You, If you didn't, 60-year-old men that grew up on that would have been crying in their their, their morning breakfast area. It would never have happened. So you, you're going to let Boba win. I mean, come on. It's Boba Fett. I'm just saying. Um I, I mean, I love the scene. It, it did remind me of the old the spaghetti westerns that we grew up on. John Wayne, you know, you got like the Clint Eastwood style where it's like the duel. They all have to like the tit for tat to see who's got the, you know, I've got the skill. No, you've got the skill to get it going. I thought it was a perfect scene. Like they really played each his strengths. And then to go into the next scenes that we will talk about, I thought it was perfect. They they did it great. I was hooked right from the moment they walked in. When he walked in, I was like, oh, this is going to get down. It, someone's getting beat down. You knew it was happening. Well, it's funny you should say a certain line, and that is the legend is better than the story. Uh, as we continue on, uh, they make their way towards the ship. And AKA, let's just talk about the score real quick because at this point in time, as at the start, and literally at the start of this episode, there was literally two new tracks, or let's say two new songs, and that became the Dark Troopers had their own theme music. Mm -hmm. And 
those chills started at the beginning of the episode of like, okay, I know it's the end, but something's off. This is the most chilling episode I believe anyone has seen out of the Mandalorian series. Uh, Leslie, let's start with you. What did you think of the Dark Troopers theme music? You know, one of the things that I love about the Star Wars franchise is that the music drives the storyline. Music is very important. Um, and everybody has their own theme music. The fact that they receive theme music means that they are going down in Star Wars lore and that you will see them back because they're just not going to write a score for one scene. You're going to see this, these dark troopers come back and they're going to be even worse. It's going to be even a bigger menace. I loved it. it part of, of having music under any type of scene is that it drives the emotion because so emotion and music are so connected to one another. And then when you listen to music, you can think back to the certain uh, moments that you heard it. So it was extremely effective. Um, it, just, it just made it almost as if I was watching this in a movie theater and not on my TV screen. That's what I felt about it. Right. Bert, I mean, go ahead, man. I didn't even say anything, but I'll take it. I'll take it from bringing it up. You have the face. Yeah, yeah. Let me put you on. Let me put you on. There are two times that I remember a villain having a dope theme song. It was in this episode. Obviously, we just talked about it. And again, with Killmonger. Do you know who the composer was? Ludwig Gorison. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Gorison. He is a genius. Now, if you look up the Black Panther soundtrack, there's um, there's like, you know, the usual commercial one. And then there's the composer, Ludwig Gorison, who did it for the movie. Go look at Killmonger's entrance. You know, when he burns down the uh, heart-shaped herbs or whatever, the pear-shaped herbs. And then he kind of like walks back into the throne room and the camera tilts. That soundtrack right there is amazing. Ludwig, my man. My man, when I get my red carpet treatment, I will trade it in just to sit in the studio with you and listen to it. This audio track was amazing from front what to front. Ludwig, to if you if you do decide to watch, he wants the notes. He wants at least one page from I the score. He just wants to. I won't record nothing. Nothing. I just want to send it. This man is a genius. If you, I'm just telling you, listen to that Killmonger. It, like Leslie says, music is so tied to emotion, and it conveyed that. Okay, that one scene in Black Panther. I'm telling you, where the camera focuses up, and it did the same thing in this episode because you felt that tension, you felt that fear. Even when they came back, you were like, "Oh, oh yeah, damn," you know, like it. Oh, but God, I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, yeah, yeah no, no, God, Bergie, your thoughts on that theme song that you got to hear as well too. I mean, knowing you, you probably downloaded it already. <laughs> it's part of my uh, my Star Wars, uh, you know, uh, soundtrack. Yeah, especially with uh, the, uh, the 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 sweater T-shirt going on. My Christmas, yeah. you know. Uh, to me, like when you heard that music, there are certain things in the Star Wars lore. When you hear certain music, it automatically brings back. You can remember scene. You remember everything about that scene when you get that music. When I heard that music, I was like, "Oh, something's something's about to go down." Like they're not just pulling out just a random song for no reason, and then you see those the 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 dark troopers, the death troopers, whatever you want to call them. Those things were just total badass. Like they were amazing, and I, I was super excited because I heard the song. I was like, man, this is great. I I rewound it so I could replay it again, just so I can hear the music again. It's like Mayhem said, 
it was a piece of mass. It was a masterpiece. It really was. The guy did a phenomenal job with it. Star Wars has given us some of the best instrumental music that has ever been done. Like there's so many good songs that they've done over the years throughout the movies, the TV shows, the cartoon, you know, certain songs when you come on, you know, you're going to expect a certain villain or a soup or a hero that's going to come onto the screen that every time I hear that song, if I don't see a dark trooper, like it's not right. Like it was perfect. It was just, it was amazing. Well, speaking about more dark troopers, when Din finally had to go and face off one of them and you just saw the pounding that he got onto the wall leslie let's start with you because i feel like you're going what's gonna happen to the helmet and what's gonna happen to him go ahead listen that scene (laughs) uh you know i i wasn't well i was expecting it but the fact that they beat down the door the way that they did and they came after him I felt like I was watching, I actually felt like the fear and the intensity and the fight. I honestly did not think that Den was going to get through it because I knew that when they were punching him in the face and he was, it, it, something was going to crack eventually when he just kept pounding him. The fact that they could pound uh, a dent into a door and break through a door made me know that he may not have survived this. If it wasn't just for a switch of luck or the force or whatever, I was terrified for him. I was terrified. Um, I know that one of the things, how this storyline is written is that the, the, the hero usually succeeds in this. But at that moment, I did not know how he was going to get out of it. I was fooled. Right. I was just like, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. And I literally was watching it with my husband. And I was like, no, no. I was like screaming and shouting at, at the, at the screen because those are the moments that you live for, that you're actually shouting for the hero. You're, you're rooting for the hero and you're screaming because of the bad guy. Those things were relentless. And I knew that they were not going to stop until they succeeded in demolishing everybody. So right. knowing that, I all, it also sets me up for knowing that in the future, when they do make another appearance, that this is what you're going to get. And it's not going to be an easy escape. Or you may not escape it at all. Right. Uh, Mayhem, your thoughts on that particular scene, seeing the dark trooper exit that door and go right after Mando and the pounding Mando took and to just, I yeah, yeah, God. They answered why he survived that. They said Beskar Steel, strongest stuff out there, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into what happens later on, per se, that kind of confirms that, because we're going to see my scene. But there are two things I want you to keep in mind. Towards the end, when he takes off his helmet, which we talked about, he takes off his uh, helmet for uh, baby Grogu, it's pressurized. It's like a sound. So he must have something to seal his... So like when he's getting hit, Instead of his head hitting the helmet, it's moving with the helmet, which is why, for lack of better, he's not like brain dead or he's not like he's not dented or like his face isn't as messed up as football it is. helmet. <laughs> <laughs> so like there's that. But then also, have you guys realized that this episode particularly kind of answers and brings about the attention of legends and stories like what's true, what's not true, and they kind of confirm it? Once again, if you've seen it, think back the certain fight scene that happens. And why wasn't certain somebody hurt? 
We'll get yep. into that next time. Bergie, take it away, Bergie. <laughs> I, I mean, when I saw that, like the way they were pounding on that. Now, just a, to, uh, just a, a little bit. That, now, am I the only? It kind of look like the Cylons from Battlestar Galactica. Yes, they uh, do. Yes. yes, they do. So, because I was, I was going with real steel robots from the no, Hugh Jackman. Battle, Looks like before, the, that, the before that were the Cylons. Before that were the Cylons. The and face kind of had that Cylon look to it, and I loved it because then you have you know uh, Katie Sackhoff who was in Battlestar Galactica. So I like that yeah. that that was like a little bit of a play on it. I know it's a the the Jedi's the troopers, but it kind of reminded me of the Cylons. I loved it because those things were relentless too. These the way they came at him. Like you watch that coming through. I was like, man, when one got through, I was like, he ain't surviving this. You know, just the way he got pounded, got thrown all around. It was nuts. Like, it was seriously, you were thinking this dude's coming at us with a couple of cracked ribs. He's, he's not going to survive this. He's going to be worse for wear. Who's going to have to save his butt later on in this episode? Um, I mean, when it was hitting his face, I expected to see a crack in that armor in the, the helmet or like his glass, his visor or something, because that's not Beskar. That could have been anything. We don't know what it is. But man, just to see him and then use the the Besker steel uh, pole that he had and to defeat that, I mean, he took a beating from that thing and he gave it some good pops with that, with his armor and everything like that. And that thing didn't blink. It didn't even like, it didn't phase it. So I'd like to know what that thing is made of that it was able to survive some of those rocket shots, those little whistler things that he threw at it. And the only reason he beat it was because he basically decapitated it. I mean, it's right. scary he that that thing is that spear. Tall. Yeah, he pretty much pulled off like an X Men move where they couldn't take out the Sentinel. You got to put it within within its its neck bolts or whatever, and like twist them off. And that's exactly what we got. But then later down the line, we saw I would say the badassery of these four women making yeah. their way to the bridge, and that is literally a shooting spree by these four ladies and making their way to the bridge. And then Bo goes, "Where's Moff?" Leslie, let's start with you. What you thought about the ladies making, literally going on a shooting spree, taking out every stormtrooper on their way to the bridge? I wouldn't expect anything less from these ladies. I mean, they've been they've been bringing it from the minute they hit the scene. So uh, I didn't expect anything less. Um, you know, it, it, I'm very I'm, I'm happy to see this type of of badassery from a woman in this in this series. I mean, we have had it. We've had strong characters, strong females, but they've always been in like flowing garb or something. Something about it is like, you know, some romanticizes that these women are just tough. They are tough as nails. And they are like, you know, like a hardcore Marine. Uh, you know, you could tell that they were built for battle, that this is what they know, that they know the way, that they know the code. Um, just excellent. The scene was just excellent. The way that they did all of that. It was just that's that's all I gotta say. I'm, I'm happy to see those type of things. May characters. I mean, what right. more can you say about that? All right, Mayhem, your thoughts on that scene and getting onto that bridge and and that lovely little shoot 'em up style. Go ahead. I was trying to think of a catchy name for this group. I'm like something that we could coin because Fennec, because Bo-Katan, because Koska, because Kara, like Miss Dune herself, like reminded you that they weren't just 
eye candy. They weren't just there. They were unapologetic, unapologetically strong. They were unapologetically women. And I'll be honest with you, the one who scares me the most is Fennec. The way she comes around the sides of things and she's just shooting people out of nowhere. You got to watch her. She's like the baby. When you don't see the baby and you don't hear anything, something's up. Check on the baby. Check on Fennec because she's dangerous. Obviously, obviously, Koska's next. Um, the scene was dope. It was coordinated. These women have only worked with their partners, but they flowed like a unit. They looked for each other's backside. Um, at one point, Dune was her her uh, her machine gun, light machine gun or whatever, lightsaber jammed, and they were still covering her. They were actually executing moves. Like, how you have a shootout, but you're doing an execution with kicks? Like, come on. That was dope. I still stand by this. Boba Fett is about to get washed. But it's gonna be off screen. He's gonna get washed. I'm telling you. And get the bowl of fat just yet. But anyway, Burzy, your thoughts on the shoot 'em up screen by the four ladies and Bo Katan in a panic going, Where is Moff? My next I mean, shirt is gonna say washed. <laughs> <laughs> Cut the wall. Didn't Snoop Dogg um, didn't didn't Snoop Dogg and uh didn't Snoop Dogg and Dr. Jerry do that already? So we no, can't they do didn't. That. <laughs> Uh, I mean, when you watch that, it was great to see, as Les, you know, uh, already alluded to, to see four women that were not just damsels in distress. We're here because we're like the eye candy of the scene. We're here for a little bit of maybe, you know, uh, with some humor or something like that. No, they came in, they kicked ass, they took names, you know, and to see them just mow, mow down people, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, I love the scene where they were on the bridge. And you saw Gina Kronos' character and Ming-Nan Wen's character just going through that bridge. And then you see the two Mandalores disappear. And I'm like, they're going to come back for something. And you know it. They're kind of using them as a decoy. Brought in more. They came out of nowhere and just wrecked them. And the other two girls looked at it like, knew you had our back. Like, they just knew. That's That was the camaraderie they have. If the four of them don't show up in another episode, it's just the four of them going out to a night on the town or a night on the universe. Like, I'm going to be mad. Because that I would watch that episode all day. It was great to see the way they came together. And when Gina Carano's character is beating the snot out of her gun because it's not working and she just starts pummeling people with the rifle, I loved it because I was like, finally, she got to do a little wet work. She wants to do the wet work. She wants to get in there up and in, throw a punch, throw somebody on the ground. She doesn't want to just sit there and shoot him. Fennec is the one that's going to shoot him from a distance. She's a long-range sniper. So I, I was thrilled. I loved the whole episode. Like It was great. And Bo? Bo, I mean, that woman's got some dark, dark, deep-sided issues with her. I'm, I'm curious to see what happened where she has such a disdain for Moff Gideon. I want to know that backstory there because that episode, I feel, is going to be one of the darkest episodes of it. And you're going to see this woman kind of snap in that episode. And if she doesn't snap on Din to get that saber back, yo, right. that woman's going to be in a, in a nut house. Like, seriously. But but we'll see. I mean, it did go it did go dark because right after Bo Katan had this huge panic attack, Din made his way to where baby Yoda was was held and he snapped a neck. We haven't seen this in Star Wars at all in any mm -hmm. of the movies, let alone the series. We finally get to see a dark side of the of the Star Wars series. Um but your thoughts on uh the uh, I guess now the showdown between Moff Gideon and Din. Leslie, start with you. Um, 
you know, I think Moff Gideon, there's so much that they're going to do with this character because he's building, we're building, this character is building himself up to be one of the, the, the most despised and hated characters of this series. And each time I see um, Giancarlo play this role, I, I see it becoming darker and darker. Uh, and he's caring less and less, or the, what if that makes him humanity, whatever is about him that makes him human, is it, you're slowly losing that. Um, he's also very treacherous in a sense that that he's, fear drives him to do certain things to save himself. So that makes it even worse. Uh, I can see this going on with him. Like he would rather take somebody out first before they take him out. The fight scenes, um, when, when, um, when Din actually broke the neck in that one, I was, I actually had to replay that because I was like, did he just break somebody's neck on a Disney show? Um, it was really surprising, but it was very um, satisfying in a sense, because at this point you were so heightened with the emotion that was going on in that scene that I just wanted to get rid of it. You just knew um you, you definitely felt the dynamic between the good and the bad guy. So however he took him out, I didn't care. I didn't care that it was the next snap. I, I was just so satisfied that he did it. So he had to move on to do whatever he had to do. He had to go get Grogu. He had to take sure, make sure that Grogu, Grogu was safe. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on. So it was very worth it seeing that next snap. Sorry, uh, kids. Uh, mayhem, your thoughts on when... Muff and Din are exchanging words and he almost walks away and then Din decides to strike first. We, could you have seen that happen? Go ahead. Time out. Pause on the play. Miss Delgado, the big bad Bobatch. Big bad Bobatch. That's what we're going with. Big bad Bobatch. And if Disney wants to get cheeky, there's going to be a line that says, Oh, I'm such a batch. You know, like I can see that happen. I can see, <laughs> I can see that happening so much. Thank you for that. Um, so with the fight scene, honestly, we're getting closer to he, – he's literally in front of Baby Yoda. This man is desperate. He wants that child. That child is like his son. So like all his normal killings, which are a little bit more finesse, he's been, he's been at it. He's, he's been enraged in a sense, but he has the mask on, so it's a mix of emotion. When Moff Gideon is like, all right, I'll give you Baby Yoda. I already got what I wanted. Yeah, whatever. I'll Grogu. I'll say Grogu. I'll give you Grogu. I got what I wanted. Da, 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 I'll go, whatever. And I'm like, it can't be that easy. And he starts to walk away. I'm like, this man is a genius. Like, he just, he found a way to, to like ensure his survival. And then he starts attacking my man, the Mando. And I'm like, oh my God, Mando's going to die because, wait, Beskar Steel? The Saber doesn't destroy Beskar Steel? Oh my God, like what was true, what wasn't, all this hype, all this hype. And you know what, as far as snapping the neck, because I'm going back right now, as far as snapping the neck and being a Disney show, I want to bring your attention to something called Samurai Jack in Cartoon Network. Samurai Jack used to cut cleanly through these androids, and they got away with it. But ironically, they used to bleed oil, but it wasn't human, so it was okay. Not until like the last season, which I believe was the fifth one, because I love Samurai Jack, um, did he actually kill a human being and got away with it. It was only a matter of time with Disney. And to be fair, when Disney kills somebody with a lightsaber, it's still a human, but you don't see like the innards or anything. So they can get away with it. So I am happy they brought that. I hope they do it again. But oh 
My God, that saber? What else? What else? Fobatch. <laughs> Fobatch. I think the, tri the triple Bs. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, okay. Uh, Bergy, take it away. About uh, fights and what you got well, out of it. That conference. I want to. Like I want to go a little bit like where you were talking about the next snap because that is something that we're all sitting there like, oh my god, I can't believe Disney did this. He did a next snap. Do we not have not watched any of the Disney stuff beforehand or two episodes before where Boba Fett got his armor and the man went house on an entire platoon of troopers and he was cracking their heads where they were spinning basically like a three sixty top. Like this isn't nothing new. Disney has done it. We just never heard it. So you heard the snack, the the snap of the neck. That's where we're all like, "Oh crap!" He literally just broke the dude's neck. Like they shoot people like with lasers through. We've seen holes. Like we've seen this. It's just I think it's noise. The neck snapping. We haven't heard before. So I think that's what kind of caught everybody off guard. I was surprised they did break his neck. Like I didn't expect that. That was a little dark. I thought on Disney, but kudos to because it was the scene it made that scene like this man's doing anything and everything he can to get to that child to save its life because he knows that baby is in in despair and it's could be hurt when he entered that room and it was a showdown between the two of them i literally like no joke i was thinking you know back in the day luke and darth vader where they're looking at each other and they both got the lightsabers and i was like man who's gonna blink first and moff's like nah you got them. We got the blood. I got what I needed. I just went off the ship. Don't, you know, don't knock me around. He turns his back on him, goes to the baby, and then Moff Gideon unleashed fury on him because he knew he needed to beat him because if not, he was going to have him on his back for the rest of his life. He was never going to get away with it. The fact that he was able to defeat him, it's only because of the best armor. Anybody else, no one would have survived that, the Darksaber. It was just too powerful. He beat him, and I thought he actually was going to cut through the uh, the Besker steel that he had above the, the staff because that thing was getting red hot, and I was like, at what point is he going to snap that? I really yeah. expected him to snap it. And if he right. did, I, I thought he was going to come in two-handed yeah. and just pummel him. Right, because they, they held it on for a good while, and that got oh, completely yeah. red. And we know from any type of movie down the line, especially when it's a long staff, eventually comes in two pieces. Yep. Maybe that's a teaser for an Easter egg down the line. But let's go back to now. Now we're going to continue on. Mando defeats Moff and he brings him to the bridge. And Bo is shocked and in disbelief, while Kara is excited because he came in. He he came in alive. But but there's the whole issue of the dark saber. Uh, Leslie, let's start with you on that scene where Moth. But uh, where Moth, Bo, and uh, Din all have a mini, say like a mini standoff where he's the sheriff and he's pulling those guns. Go ahead, Les. Well, the interesting aspect of this is the fact that, um, and I didn't know the lore behind that, the Black Dark Saber, that it has to be won in battle. So now here we have Din has this Dark Saber and he's trying to give it to her, but she won't take it because of the. Uh, if, if she would lose the respect of everyone uh, uh, on um, Mando, Mandalorian, if she took it so easily and not in battle. So now we know that there's this tension between her, uh, more so for her towards Din, because he's not, you know, 
he's not willing to, he doesn't care about it. He doesn't care to rule or anything like that. But you know what it kind of put me in the mindset of? It kind of put me in the mindset of Conan the Barbarian, who was somebody who did not want to rule, but he had to rule because he was given that, that, um, he was given that station in life and it was an unwanted station. He was just someone who wanted to live his life normally. I have a feeling that this is going to be the case. And I have a feeling that she may, she's not really going to, she may go after him later. So he obviously has another enemy now because he can't just give it to her and hand it over to her. It has to be one in battle, which means he's going to have to fight his, his, his friend or, or someone who he's gone through something with. This sets up a very interesting dynamic here that I can't wait to see what the outcome is going to be because you're going to see a different side of her and you're going to see a different side of his reluctance right. about it. So this, you know, this is going to be interesting. And I believe there's going to be a, 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 some time as you, where he's going to actually have to make a decision as the ruler when he doesn't want to be the ruler of Mandalorian. Well, we're because going to have. Well, we'll we'll get we'll get to that little theory in a second. Uh, when we we have plenty of time to talk about that uh, theory, but mayhem, take it away. Okay, <laughs> three things. The first thing. Okay, so remember, just keep in mind that I told you that this episode, particularly, was all about the stories, the myths, and the actual legends. Right? Les already talked about the future. Les already talked. Thank you, Les. You're the best. Can we just sit back and acknowledge the mastermind that Moth Gideon is? Mm -hmm. He purposely left the bridge because mm -hmm. he, he figured there's a possible chance I won't win. He purposely left the bridge to go meet Mando at, with Baby Grogu, right? He said, if anything, I'll be defeated by him. But then leave Mando with the so that way they're fighting amongst each other because Bo-Katan cannot let it go. Bo-Katan's pride and honor because she, don't get me wrong, she lost to this man and amongst other things besides hurting him, she wants to kill him. But she wanted to win it from him and she couldn't let it go. Now, I believe like everyone here, I've also did my research and I found out what how the Darksaber ritual is and whatnot. It could be something overlooked. But obviously they're not going to do that. In season three, it's coming back. And I, I fully believe Moth Gideon, if and when he fully, fully is dead, D-E-D, -E dead, he's going to have a hand in it. Moth is the best villain that Star Wars has had since. Name me a better villain. He, because he's so smart. Because he's so, no, because he's too smart. Vader. He's smart. He's smarter than Vader. He's smarter than the, than the Emperor. He woman. is smart. Listen to this woman. smart. Vader um, had his moment Verging on his thoughts and during the scene, everything with Bo Katan, Din, and Moff Gideon. God. All right. So you knew Moff. I agree with Mayhem and some of the stuff that Leslie has said. Moff left that bridge because he knew he didn't want to lose to Bo Katan because he didn't want to give her the satisfaction. He knew if he yep. was going to be defeated, he left. This man is, he might not be the best at like, you know, swords play, might not be the best at this, but he's conniving. He's cunning. This man is deceptive. He is brilliant as a villain in the Disney lore of, I'm sorry, in the Star Wars lore. He left there because he was like, all right, I'm probably going to get defeated by her. She's going to get what she wants. I don't want that. I want to get defeated if I'm going to get defeated by Mando, by the Mando. He then is going to have to bring me to her because he's not going to kill me 
because he wants to see me suffer in prison. He's going to bring me to her. Now he brings uh, Moff Gideon there and drops her, drops him at her feet. And she is like beside herself. She looks like she's about to snap and just kill somebody. And he perceptively just like twisted the knife on her. Like, ah, you can't take it, can you? That's right. You have to do it by this. Which, if anybody has followed the Rebel series, that's not true. Because Sabine Wren defeated one of the other Mandalorians who had the dark saber. She beat him, got the saber. She did not want to rule Mandalore. She gave it to her mother, who happened to be one of Sabine uh, Bo-Katan's you know, collaborators, and gave her the, the weapon. She can't do that. Bo does not want to take it that way because she knows she will not get the respect of Mandalore because she didn't defeat Moff Gideon. If she takes it from Mando, a, a, a bounty hunter, basically, who's not technically Mandalore, according to the way she says, she will not have the respect of her people, of her planet. So that's why she won't take it from him. She could take it. He yielded it. She doesn't want it that way. She wants it in combat. Somehow it's going to get back in Moff Gideon's hands. She's going to defeat Moff to get it, to be the rightful heir of that and the rightful heir of Mandalore. She's not taking it from Mando. No way in heck is she doing that because she won't get the respect of her people. And keep in mind, Moff Gideon. animosity between the but, but, uh, towards him and, and not necessarily from him because he's totally uh, oblivious of it, but she's going to always have that tension because, because she believes by that. She believes by that code. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but that's, but yeah, but continuing on because at this point in time, Moff Gideon is still alive and now in the custody, but Q and the Dark Sabres again, uh, Dark Troopers again. But guess what? They get a little extra hand. The scene that we've all been discussing for the past two weeks, and that is the X Wing enters the screen and a Jedi appears. We're going to talk about what you guys thought about that fight scene and especially the. Darth Vader slash Rogue One entrance that happened that Beautiful. made everyone just go yes like father like son <laughs> in a way which we all knew anyway right let's just like right right we all knew by the time you saw the lightsaber by the time you saw the hand by the time you saw that scene right let's get off the, we knew who it was oh please go ahead everyone say the name take the time oh, take say the name it was the, knew it. like I you said knew it. Yeah, but let's talk about the scene. Leslie, start with you first. What did you think about the entrance, the scene up until him entering that bridge? Go ahead. Um, I wrote today, actually, uh, there was Kevin Smith actually posted something about a fan of his that decided that he was not going to follow him anymore because Kevin Smith uh, expressed or actually showed on social media that he was crying when that scene occurred. So I wrote something that will best suit what I felt about that moment. So I'm going to read it to you all. And I wrote it to Kevin Smith. I said, in 1977, as a young girl watching Star Wars in the movie theater for the 16th time, I dreamt of making films like this. It was the reason that I'm an actor and a writer today. I knew I had to tell epic stories like this one, the kind that makes a kid go back to the theater just to hang on every word and every scene. I speckled my walls with posters and magazine pages. I tirelessly in, uh, listened to my Star Wars records, my record album over and over again until it drove my family crazy. I knew this movie changed my life. Fast forward to this season's ending of The Mandalorian. I felt that same feeling. 
The moment I saw the X-Wing fighter, the moment I saw the green saber and the gloved hand, the moment I saw the methodical takedown of the enemy, I felt a flood of tears running down my cheeks. I was once again that 15-year-old in the movie theater who was mesmerized by this franchise. Thank you, John Favreau and Dave Filoni for taking me back to a happier time. You made this fan's Millennium Falcon fly. And Kevin Smith, I give you permission to weep too. You're brave to tell what we've all experienced watching this series. There you go. Can't, can't say anything better than that. I, I have to. Yeah. Go ahead. I have to tell you that um, you know this has been a very hard year for everybody, and when people who are fans write for the fans, they bring us out of. A mindset that we're being, we've been going together, going through for a long time together this whole year, 2020. They did us such a service by serving that up on a platter for us, that moment, that nostalgia, that that happy feeling that we all had, and this is the reason why we are discussing that moment right now. I cannot tell you how powerful that is to hold that in your hand and to give that as a wonderful gift to the fan base and to be authentic with it, to be consistent with it, um, to make sure that everybody is satisfied by what they see and that they don't take that storyline where they want it to go, but they take it where the story is supposed to go, where Star Wars lore is supposed to go, where the culture is supposed to go. So thank you so much for doing that. I watched that scene over three or four, five, six times. I will watch it over again and I will cry every time I see it because it brought me back to a more innocent time when life was happy and good guys won and bad guys lost. There you go. Bam, do you even want to top that right now? <laughs> The woman wrote a letter. She gave a speech, wrote a letter. Can we move forward? Yes, <laughs> like, we will move forward. Yeah, we will move forward because that is perfectly put and said. Thank you, Leslie, for sharing your thoughts Thank you. and for a moment that you felt. And it and it perfect. But yet again, Leslie, Leslie did a mic drop there. She dropped both yeah, mics. She did it. She, she did, did a mic. chance. Two mics both, both, both of these mics were dropped. I mean. <laughs> um, but 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 now Luke appears, and and uh, Grogu gets to see him. Uh, the the whole like Grogu not letting go of Mando, Mando yet again, finally revealing to the child what he looks like. Remember, we've never Mando's never taken the helmet off in front of the kid either, especially in season one when he was eating, he would just have. You know, half open the mask up, and he would pursue to eat. Um, Leslie, let's let's start with you again. Your thoughts on pretty much the whole entire final scene: Grogu, Mando, and and Grogu going into the hands of Luke in that final scene. I think that it it took me back to a movie. I don't know if you all remember this movie called Shane. 
uh, where uh, this this gunfighter, this gunslinger, um, starts has a bond with a young boy, and he has to leave and go uh, on, you know, uh, and live his life. And I, obviously, it means certain death because I think that he's shot at the end of the movie. But the the, the scene of a child uh, separating uh, from a parent figure. And you know that this child is going on to bigger and greater, greater things and him keeping that child there, even if he's emotionally tied to that child, would be uh, a disservice to that child. Um, when that when that big when Grogu touched his face and I saw that tear forming in Mando's eye, I lost it. Um, when R2-D2 came in and you know, he saw that, you know, the, the, the bond formed between him and R2-D2. And R2-D2 has been so significant when it comes to children, even in the real world. You know, in the imaginary, in the Star Wars world, you know, he is significant to children. But even, you know, in the real world that we live in, children are, relate to R2-D2. Seeing that moment, seeing um, Luke carry him off, it was joyous and heartbreaking at the same time. Um, but they gave that one last shot of Mando with that tear forming in his eye. And it was just heartbreaking to me because this is a man who lives by code that he doesn't cry. He doesn't have emotion. He just does. He has a duty and a responsibility. But you understand his attachment to that being. You understand the being's attachment to him. And that scene where he was grabbing onto his leg at the end. Oh, geez. I don't have kids, but I imagine what that must have felt like. Right. Bam, your thoughts on that scene, Bando, helmet, face, Luke. I think Star Wars in this season particularly, if not the first, both seasons, have done a great job at reintroducing characters and making them more complex than just their titles. Oh, he's just a Jedi. Oh, he's just a Mandalorian. Oh, he's just whatever. Oh, she's just a bounty hunter. You know, they're actual people. You know, they may not be human beings per se, but they're people with all types of baggage. We Hell, we even saw TIE fighters who we rooted for who were technically the bad guys. You know, we rooted for them and what, the episode before with Bill Burr, two episodes before, if I'm not mistaken. But then, you know, some of them weren't necessarily for what they're fighting for fully. Um, that scene helped bring back the humanity, I'll say, even though that's wrong. Just the humanity of people. And Grogu leaving, I can understand, was very, 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 very sad because it, we grew, it felt like we grew with him. Yeah, he's a baby, he's 50 years old, it's an old man, but it's like we were just getting to know him. He was cool. We just found out his name. And the Mandalorian showed his face. He cried. And it's like a father figure. And don't get me wrong. He went to Luke. Oh, I can't wait till they expand upon that. Like, where's Grogu now? But you, even Luke kind of showed some emotion while fighting. You saw when he crushed that robot? Like, there's a little bit of darkness to that. And it's just like, this is all coming to an end. And I don't want it to because there's so much more to explain. Like Bergie said, there has to be a season three with Bobatch. There has to be. I need Bobatch back. I need to see what happens. I need to see well, what happens. 
is with the man. Well, we we know that's not going to be happening because of something else happening. We'll get to that in just a short minute. We'll let Bergie continue on, and then we're going to go into another topic because we're not over with this, especially with the Mandalorian. But take it away, Bergie. I mean, the esteemed guests that we have here, they've pretty much nailed a lot of the stuff uh, to say. You know, Les definitely said it best. Like, seriously, like, Les, amazing. Um, I agree with her on everything. To see the look on Grogu's face, he was he didn't want to leave Mando. And that scene was very powerful to watch and to see, like, a father letting go of his child. And... It was almost like he was the stepdad and like whether it was his blood or not, he loved that child and he was there and he was going to fight for him. And he knew, I think Mando knew he needed to go with the Jedi to fully fulfill like his destiny or his purpose in life. But at the same time, he didn't want to let go. That's I think why he left. He opened the helmet to show him like, look, I'm going to be okay. I know you want to see me. We have a connection. This man can help you. You, you have to go with him. And I think it was, it was very, it was beautifully done. The cinematography of it was absolutely amazing. The way they filmed it, they did such a great job with it. You, you felt the power and the emotions of that episode when he got down and he was holding his foot. I think when you like, they had to bring an R2D to him just because it's like it, R2D2 is like Luke Skywalker's Grogu in a way, like the child to the Mando, like that's his little baby. Like he loves that little droid. And to see Grogu turn and look at him like, ooh, shiny. Like, he, I think he got excited because it was like a new toy to play with in a way. And that's when he walked away. But he kind of looked back at him like, is this okay, Dad? Like, can I go? Like, it was the first day of school. You know, and you're, you're the dad sitting out there and you're letting your kid go to the first day of school. And you're like, you're fighting back the tears. But you got that one. But you got to show your kid, no, nah, I'm strong. I got to be tough for him. Great episode. They did a phenomenal job of it. I loved everything about it. I loved the way they introduced Luke on the episode and everything and to showcase him. The only thing I was disappointed in that little episode is a very small disappointment. Not much was when he, when he asked him if he was a Jedi and he said, I am a Jedi. And I wanted to say like my father before me wanted to hear that, that line. Cause then I would have lost it. Like literally like, Oh my God, you, you did star Wars better than anybody ever could have thought. Filoni and Farber, they can do whatever the heck they want with star Wars. And I'm okay with it. Give them everything, stars. Let them go. They've got it in perfect case. At this rate, right now, we said give them the keys. We are all 100% guaranteed saying this. Give them the keys to the Star Wars universe because what we saw on Friday and what we're what everyone's continuing to see today is gold. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you couldn't make that episode any better than what it was. You couldn't make it any stronger. And it had no weak points to it. And even was just a weak spot from the fight scenes, the dialogue. And even it was left open because as we continue on, guess what, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get we're going to get into theories and series and what's next into the Mando series, because right after that was over, there was one more scene afterwards. And that was Boba Fett scene. And I mean, look, and we saw at the end the book of Boba Fett, which is now next on the Disney Plus series of of stories. So now that we have Bo Katan a spin-off, we have Boba Fett spin-off. Mandalorian, remember, people are gonna forget this right now. The show was about the Mandalorian. 
Granted, Grogu is out of next season. I know it's going to hurt for a lot of people. Next season, we will not see Grogu probably up until maybe the last episode. Mm-hmm. And maybe he probably utters his first words. Oh, And maybe oh. that's something everyone needs to embrace right now is the fact that when season three begins, we do not have Grogu. But we do have Bo-Katan. We do have the Dark Star. We do have Kara. We do have the bounty hunt, the rest of the bounty hunters, and the fight for Mandalore, and that will probably be the continuation of that series. And we also forget too that Moff Gideon is still alive, and so is the scientist. This may also introduce, I'm saying this right now, a certain Sith, because how can how can Moff Gideon get out of this situation to continue the work that he is doing? What do you guys think could be happening next into this series outside of Luke and Grogu happening, which we're waiting for them to continue on that one. And when we finally see Sebastian Stan yeah. step into the role of Luke Skywalker. Leslie, let's start with you because you're all smiles and giddiness and everything else. Go ahead. What do you think will happen next on season three of The Mandalorian? We're all guessing. Spoiler, super spoilers ahead because guess what? Everyone's thought matters. Go ahead. <laughs> well, what we did see was Boba Fett went back to Tatooine. He took over Jabba's throne. Um, which means that Jabba is extremely connected. I guess what Jabba is is he's a he's a, he's a gatherer of information, and he and a lot of people owe him debt. So I'm wondering if this is what this is what Boba is going to be now. Is he going to be the brand new Jabba? Uh, are we going to see characters that were in Jabba's circle in season three? Characters that that we may have looked up, and I've and I've said this many a times because I said I wanted so much to know what happened to um, oh the character, the little bitty thing that was in Jabba's pocket, Salacious Scrum. Um, Will we learn about Salacious Scrum? Will we find out whatever happened to him? What What about all the other characters that were around uh, Jabba and um, when he was uh, ruling on Tatooine or that where there he was? There are so many, and yes, we will probably see the story with the dark saber. We will see um, what's going to happen with that. But this is opening up two storylines because they wouldn't have added that little teaser there if they didn't meant if it wasn't meant to have something happening in the third season. So we're going right. to see some part of that storyline. Right. And now yeah. they're going to bring back characters that once again, they're going to bring out characters that we love from the Star Wars franchise that we probably didn't even know that they had a storyline. We're going to learn that storyline. You know, uh, it's going to be recreated in season three. Right. Mayhem, your thoughts on what could be happening next in the Mandalorian series? Right off the bat, Bobatch. What? What? <laughs> I'm sorry. Once, once uh, Bib Fortuna was closed. That's the that's Jabba the Hutt's right hand man, right? That's the guy who yeah. took over. Once he was killed and he took over, and he had the wine from when they made from previous uh, episode before. Obviously, Mister Fett has he has plans. He has a plan, and he's gonna have to recruit who? Bobatch. Fennec is going to... Mark my words, season three, we're going to get the Mandalorian at the end. 
and we might get Grogu at the end. I believe we'll get the Mandalorian either episode seven or eight. Let's say it goes up to like nine episodes, seven or eight, and all of them will be back fighting again. It'll be a debt paid of some sort, or a favor owed, definitely. But I don't know what, and it probably has to do with Moff Gideon too, because maybe Moff Gideon is like Boba Fett's like that ah, doesn't this doesn't bother me, but then he's trying to rule a kingdom. He's like, all right, it bothers me. I have to step in now. I guarantee you, Moff is gonna make them come back together, and they're all gonna have to kill them, or kill him, and they're all gonna have to come back together uh, to do so. And I want to add, if we're lucky, and the money's right, maybe we'll get Bill Burr back again. I would love to see that. Bill Burr will be in another series that has nothing to do with the Mandalorian, but that's for somewhere down the line. Burgie, take it away. So that episode at the end where they did the the little scene, I absolutely loved that because I'm like, where are they going? Why are they at Jabba's palace? Like, what the heck is going on? You see Finnick coming in. I'm like, what the? Why are they going after Jabba? Like, Jabba's palace, Jabba died. Like, he got choked out. Like, the huts are no longer there. And then all of a sudden you see... Like he shoots Bib Fortuna, and I was like, "Man, Bib put a little weight on in the years since Jabba. I guess it's good to be king. <laughs> yep, you know, yep. it was good, yes, good to be king. You know." And then when I got there, and he sat on that. That to me, when he sat on that throne, that kind of reminded me of you alluded to it earlier, Les, where it was like Conan. Like he didn't want to lead, but he was the king. Like he was the leader. And I said when he sat there and he had that look and he leaned on it. I'm like, I've seen this before. This is Conan the Barbarian. Like, he just proved I'm the baddest of baddest around. So now is he going to get the crime families back together? You know, you've got all the five different crime families, the huts, everything. There's a lot of stuff that they could do. If this takes place so many years after the Return of the Jedi, could we get, dare I say, Lando Calrissian? Yep. Does he come yes. there? Do they do something? We could. This can lead to a lot of stuff, and I do truly think that could do a little more with the lore. As far as where the Mandalorian goes... I think we're going to see him on a mission to help Bo-Katan begrudgingly on her behalf because I don't think she wants him around. She wants the dark saber, but she's going to keep him around because he's got the saber. She needs to keep eyes on him. She mm. wants to know where that is. He's going to help her, I think, help overtake her her throne again, like her world. We're going to see that. We're going to probably get introduced some other characters that they're going to throw in lore. We definitely see Grogu back. We're definitely going to see Luke Skywalker. I think we're going to see Ahsoka. I honestly think we're seeing Thrawn. And I really, 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 really do think we are going to see uh, Snoke and the First Order in some form by episode mm. eight. Episode eight, I think there's something because you've you've watched everything. The way they've talked, they've talked about the order. They've mentioned the order throughout the whole series. They've always said something about the order. They showed the cloning. Okay. They've been hinting at this all yep. season. Filoni and Favre have us hook, line, and sinker. We're in, all in it, and I cannot wait to see it. One if they bring had, in Snoke, if they bring in Snoke and still baby Grogu, we're already hook, line, and sinker anyway. Oh, yeah. And you don't have to bring in yeah. Thrawn or Ahsoka or anyone else because nope. why? This continues on to the next one. And also, I like to say this as well too. People forget that this is the Luke. This is still part of the Luke Skywalker saga. And as I was writing. Between yesterday and today, I went back and rewatched The Force Awakens, and something caught my attention as I watched this episode because it brought up to me three times as I watched this to go and watch The Force Awakens. And as I remember, um, when 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 Ray and Finn are captured, and we see um, Han and Chewie on the bridge, 
they mentioned about Luke Skywalker and where to find Luke Skywalker. Han says he was out with training an apprentice and a boy. Now we know who the boy is. Oh. Yes, as Mayhem opens his eyes, Han oh. Solo mentioned in the movie that Luke was training a boy and an apprentice and put a school together for the Jedi, training Jedis. Now we all know who the boy is, but who is his apprentice? Now granted this will take place a few years later, Will later down the line, will we see as Grogu as the apprentice, and and will the certain fight take place, or does Grogu leave prior to what Luke Skywalker goes through? Mm. That is a whole, that is a whole thing that everyone missed going back to the Force Awakens, and people have completely missed that line of what Han Solo says, and people say that Ben Solo is the apprentice, and he named them as two people, but Han Solo mentions an apprentice. And the and a boy, and he purposely misses the two, not putting them together, but keeping them separate. Is Grogu the apprentice? I guess we'll have to find out yes. when the next season happens. God, Bergie, it's, it's fitting. It really is fitting because he was trained by Yoda that yeah. race. So now, wouldn't it be fitting that the master, the Jedi, becomes the master in a way, and he's training the apprentice, like? That's nuts, man. I I forgot about that. Like I kind of yes. remember it from the thing. I'm gonna have to rewatch this later. I'm right. Because, because, that's, do because, because while I'm watching episode, while I'm watching the, the current episode, I'm like going back. I'm like, why do I feel like I need to watch one of the old Star Wars movies and especially the newer ones? Because something's happening. And yes, I do feel like Snoke is gonna be coming in. And if they bring us Snoke, I don't see Ahsoka because they have their own storyline. I don't see Thrawn. I don't see Ezra because that'll take away from the Ahsoka storyline. But I do see a movie down the line that if it all takes place and if the, if the Ahsoka storyline goes after season two, I believe there sh probably should be a movie because now people forget that she's on a hunt to get Thrawn and Ezra. That would not make sense of bringing Thon and Ezra into the Mandalorian unless something happens in her first season and they ended up in the next season of the Mandalorian. See, now, I have a question for you. Like, with everything that's going on, we know we have a new Obi-Wan series. We know we have an Ahsoka series. Right. Do you see a little bit of maybe a crossover between the two? Because we know they knew each other. Do you absolutely. think they could have a crossover? I think there's at least one episode. There's at least one. Absolutely. This is definitely a nod to the to the shows that we used to watch in the 80s. Understand that they're doing cliffhangers and there were crossovers. Look at the Bionic Woman and the and and um oh, and yeah. the six million dollar man. Million, yeah. We all we all died for those crossovers when it happened. We died yeah. for those. So I absolutely positively think that that's going to happen. And it's going to be a huge production that everybody's going to be waiting to see because we know that the crossover is coming. It's probably going to so. be like the one episode just to throw in one or two storylines. Because don't forget, they go from planet to planet to planet. And they always, for some reason, end up on those same planets. How yep. many times are they going to end up in Tatooine? I mean, it seems to be the number one planet everyone goes to for all junk. Yeah, well, yeah, go ahead. You think about it too. They've mentioned in the Obi Wan series, Vader's supposed to be in it. What if Vader's out hunting Jedi's and he comes across Ahsoka and Obi is there in that right. episode in the Obi Wan and he defeats, like in a way, defeats him to get away so Ahsoka and him can go their own ways? 
there's a lot of stuff, man. There's I so am, much. Oh, yeah. I mean, and Ahsoka kind of disappointed. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, finish, finish. Well, I was just going to say, you know, Filoni has this, uh, you know, I honestly feel like he's like some type of Asperger's because this man sees things that we don't see. He sees holes that we don't see. He sees storylines that we don't see. He knows characters that we have no, this man is an authority. So go ahead. Here's, here's what I've noticed about Filoni. And this goes back to rebels. If anyone goes and rewatches rebels, it is every single Disney cartoon movie you've ever watched because Ezra is Aladdin. If you go back and watch, oh yeah, you make that face right now. He is called the street rat throughout his entire series. And who is the only street rat in the Disney series? That'll be Aladdin. And Aladdin has always tried to prove himself that he is worthy of being king. Now what is Ezra trying to do? Ezra was always trying to be worthy that he is worthy of life. I'll, you know what? I, I'll, I'll, just take, yeah. I'll just take a jab at that example, right? Aladdin's a little bit more. Aladdin's a little bit more relatable because people's worth isn't what they see them as and classism as to some extent. So, like, I can understand it translates well. And, of course, it's a great marketing ploy for Disney. Like, hey, go watch Aladdin again. We got that live action, too. So you get the animated and the live. But you think about the core, the message of that movie. Aladdin was more than just a street rap for sure. He was a human being, you know, he was just at a wrong, he wasn't in the wrong place, but he was just in a hard place. And he amounted to being king because he went through trials and tribulations. So that's like literally me and you say like, you can be anything you want. You just got to work for it. Kind of, you know what I'm saying? Aladdin had a genie. I'm totally aware. I'm so, <laughs> and he had a princess that loved him. So. Yeah, but, you know, you know you could say, but you could say the yeah, same but, thing with uh, Ezra Bridger. Canon Jars, yeah. Jedi, Sabine Wren was the, like the princess. Okay. There are a lot of tie-ins there. Are there. Bit, you know? And the lightsaber, and the lightsaber is the genie in a way because he goes hunting to make a lightsaber. So what is he missing? His genie. But yet again, he's used from Jafar to go find those certain pieces. And that's what makes it really great is the fact that he's thrown in pretty much every single, pretty much almost every single Disney movie that we've grown to love in reference and i believe a sleeping beauty uh reference in one of the episodes so the fact that you have filoni in the background throwing in almost every single disney movie that all of us grew up watching waiting to see how they're gonna throw on frozen yeah (laughs) your cat wants to be part of the show you know (laughs) that's fine i think i think honestly he does pay attention to details and he has a team He has a he has a team that are fans. Like, and I wouldn't doubt if years later we found out he also has like the books, and yeah. he's just like reading the books or skimming the books back and like using information as well. I hundred percent agree that all of them are going to cross over except their own solo series. Maybe not within the first season, but sometimes somebody will be featured on them. So all I can right, see the but- Mandalorian being featured on Ahsoka maybe in season two. You know. And I, and to be honest, I kind of am looking forward to maybe one day they either do a Luke Skywalker series down the line oh, to yes. fill in a giant chunk of gap. Because while we're getting all these little one-offs and everything, there is that big chunk of story still missing. And if it turns into a series, do it right. Get Sebastian in to put, play Luke Skywalker. Let us get to where the camp ends and then get us into the next movie, which we don't care because why? We got exactly what we wanted, and maybe we could finally get the Knights of Ren a giant explanation as well, too, and how they're formed and how 
how badass they were as well too because that is the one thing missing the story where you mentioned the Knights of Ren in that movie yet by the next two movies they are just a joke of a team yeah I mean yeah. the fact that Mark Hamill tweeted out hey you guys watch anything good this weekend like right. he knows the significance <laughs> of his character and he knows that everyone wants to see either a series or a movie you got mm -hmm. Sebastian Stan. This dude was cloned. We talking about a clone? There's a clone mm -hmm. of Skywalker. Stan, That's right. a clone. Put him in a blonde. Put him in a dirty blonde Seriously. wig. Put the comb over on him. Put him no in a dark scruff. costume. That's it. And we've already Perfect. seen him scruff. And we're gonna see him in scruff again when Falcon and the Winter Soldier comes out later next well too. I hope after the Falcon uh, series ends. Like that first season or something, there's talks and rumors are ramping up, and he is like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna play Luke," because yeah. the internet will be broken that day. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. That's one of the nights. Yeah, but I was in season one, and then we we didn't get to see that other night as well afterwards. So we'll see down the line. Um, but anyway, sadly enough, we've come to that time. I know it hurts, but guess what, guys? It's only just for today, and we'll be back next Sunday. Um, but before anything, go make sure to check out Leslie every Friday on her show, The Tingling Tea. You can catch it on uh, YouTube and Facebook. You can catch this guy on his podcast uh, with the last stop on the L. Go ahead, check him out. And then we also <laughs> we also have this guy right here to the right of me. Anyway, <laughs> you can catch him every Tuesday with this sequin toy culture. Guess what? The next coming show, we got uh, we got a special guest, and that is Georgia Smith, uh, the daughter of the British Bulldog, hence the reason why the European title is Woo! up for display. We'll be having Georgia Smith as our guest. We'll be talking about uh, everything about the British Bulldog toy line on that show. My name is Ross Andia. Thank you for joining us. Uh, have a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, and Happy every holiday you guys all uh celebrate and we'll see you guys all next week and uh this week in pop culture good night everyone good night, everybody. happy holidays